Podcast Colleges is brought to you in part by Osiris Media. If you love live music, if you love music in general, and I know you do because you're listening to this right here, head on over to OsirisPod.com and find all the great shows up there uh, like Freak Flag Flying with David Crosby, uh, Dead to Me, uh, our sister podcast hosted by Casey Ray, Broke Down Pod hosted by our friend Jonathan Hart. Find all that and more at OsirisPod.com, who are partnered with Jambase. To bring you not just podcasts and videos, but live events as well. Osiris Media, killing it on the regular. Now let's get on with the show. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. Welcome back, fellow music lovers, and happy Valentine's Day. You are now tuning in yet another exciting audio adventure with us here on Discologist. I am your host, Kevin, as usual, and so happy to have you here hanging out with us just outside Milwaukee in our little tiny shack. Uh, got a great little episode for you today. Uh, Going to be talking about love since it is Valentine's Day. Uh, love is a messy thing. Love can be hard. Love can be great. Uh, love is something I think that we all need, whether it's romantic or otherwise, in our life. And Peter Gabriel uh, made an album about that, the good, the bad, the ugly, the horrific, talking about 1992's Us. Uh, it is a, a masterpiece. It stands out in his catalog as, I think, maybe his best is what people are starting to understand that, but uh, is is just a masterpiece of, of the heart. Uh, and, you know, you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, I, I don't know that I've ever heard Us. Uh, that's because, uh, much like myself, and uh, my friend Drew, really the first time we were exposed to Peter Gabriel was the album So. Uh, that had hits like uh, Sledgehammer, Big Time, uh, Red Rain, and In Your Eyes. Yeah, that was definitely when I discovered him. You know, I was a freshman in high school. And yes. uh, you couldn't escape it. Uh, I no. think that was definitely Peter Gabriel's, you know, big moment. I mean, it was he was kind of a cultural zeitgeist. Yeah, that year, uh, Sledgehammer mm -hmm. being probably the biggest, one of the biggest videos of all time, um, and you just you couldn't escape that album that year. Yeah, uh, in your eyes, obviously uh, a beautiful song, a love song, um, kind of the flip side to a lot of what we find on us. Yeah, it's sort of like here's the here, you know here's the beginning of a beautiful relationship, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know um, we'll fast forward a few years and see how everything kind of collapses. Yeah, because uh, in the time of, of uh, from from so to us, uh, us was released in 1992, and Peter Gabriel at that point he had become uh, one of the world's biggest pop stars, at least MTV uh, on MTV one of the biggest stars, and. Uh, in the in the process, his not only did his marriage fall apart, but he became alienated from his member of, of his family because of that. Uh, got in another relationship with Roseanne Arquette, and then that fell apart. And mm. so, when it came time to do a follow up to this mega successful uh, hit, 
that uh, that so was uh, almost culture shifting hit. Uh, it was unclear what he was going to do. The result is a album that is uh, literally, I think, a journey through. Uh, it starts with loss, but it also like a journey through all the things that love and, and relationships with other people bring out in uh, in us. Uh, pardon the pun and. And doesn't shy away from the ugly parts as, as well as the beautiful parts. Uh, I think the bridge between these two is a song I want to I want to start with here uh, because it is sort of the mirror version of Sledgehammer. Uh, Sledgehammer, I think, was celebrating maybe fertility. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, it was uh, carnality. It was uh, it, it was love and lust and everything mixed in that. This is something else. Uh, and so here's a little bit of the steam and uh, see if you can pick up on this different vibe. Similar to Sledgehammer in production, uh, Tony Levin there, like you were just saying during a little break, uh, without his, his contribution uh, on the bass there, I don't know what that song would be. I know you, you there's a quiet steam version of that uh, that, that you kind of prefer. but Yeah, I mean, Tony Levin brings, when, when Peter Gabriel gets funky, it's 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 predominantly because of Tony Levin and his unbelievably unmistakable guitar or uh, bass guitar that he lays down. It's very similar to Sledgehammer, yeah. the bass line that's going on in Sledgehammer. I kind of feel, yeah, you mentioned Quiet Steam. You know, this album in general doesn't sound like that. Um, it's much more uh, low-key and hushed. And I suspect, I don't know that, you know, maybe Quiet Steam was the first take of Steam. And at yeah. some point they said, you know, we need something to kind of put on the radio to sort of jump out at people and, and, and get their attention. We need a we need a hot single. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe that quiet steam, they looked at it and said, well, we can turn this into something that's that's pretty jacked up. And also the protagonist, I think, in this song is very much uh, not the the cheery pie eyed uh, one from Sledgehammer. I mean, this is a uh, this is kind of the drunk at the end of the bar. Yeah, there's a contempt uh, yeah. in, in this song. Um, I know a lot is made about this album being you know, generally about his divorce from his wife. But as you mm -hmm. mentioned, he was had this relationship with Rosanna Arquette for a while. And I kind of feel like this song is about her. Yeah. Um, you know, you think you're all this, you're, you know, a hot cultural commodity, but but I really know who you are. And it's yeah. different than that. And and uh, there's a, there is kind of a nasty contempt in this song. And one of the great things about that line in particular is that it tries to, uh, in in those words, tries to swing it around to almost like the uh, the sweet version of that, which is like I know your heart, um, but it's really not. It's really like, yeah, I know, I know the real you, and it's like, yeah. and, and he's saying that he doesn't like it. I should should mention like yeah, you know, we mentioned Tony Levin on this record uh, this time out. Uh, David Rhodes, these are all his uh, normal like collaborators. Uh, David Rhodes, uh, Manu Kache, who actually on drums, who did uh, work with Sting, Nothing Like the Sun, and The Soul Cages, which is an album we should talk about at some point because it's amazing. Daniel Lanois is just kind of hanging out, uh, as is Brian Eno doing Eno shit, and uh, Sinead O'Connor. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's doing background vocals on this. He assembled this like sort of super group of people at his real world studios. And and start a work on this thing, and where that song is very much uh, trying to tie it to the past, and uh, is an ugly look at I think the emotions involved in a relationship. Uh, he goes as he goes into this album, he becomes more raw, he becomes more honest, and you understand that like that's that's only the first time the ugliness pops up, and we're going to get to uh, a really really dark point uh in this in this album and his relationships and just being a person but uh he doesn't shy away from any of these aspects of things you know there is kindness in in being a part of the universe there's also meanness there's like all these things that make up our humanity uh he just looked at it and said all right I need to get it out. I need to really look inside myself and like it, it's almost like he just read from his himself, which is different from anything he's ever done. Uh, before it was always this guy commenting on stuff. And this is just like this is the real me. Yeah. Yeah. I read that he uh, was inspired by John Lennon's Jealous Guy. Yeah. As sort of one of the models for this album, because he wasn't afraid of bearing the negative parts of his personality um, and doing yeah. so is is a positive and, and you know i think we're doing this this album sort of in conjunction with uh valentine's day and, and you kind of brought up you know people being alone on on valentine's yeah. day <clears throat> part of it for me though is i think at least with with some guys and I, I would include me in this you know um aren't always comfortable opening up uh yeah. emotionally sharing uh your your emotions um you know, with anybody, your loved one, whomever. Um, and I think that's a big part of this album because Peter Gabriel admitted, you know, he, he never really did really personal stuff uh, prior to this album. Yeah. And literally went through like years of psychotherapy and, you know, <laughs> trauma, uh, you know, digging into the dirt of who he was, his own psyche to get yeah. to this point where he could kind of bear his soul 
um, and do so, you know, showing the whole spectrum, uh, the negative, the positive, the ugly, the beautiful and all yeah, of that. And- and he had to because, you know, all of these things he lost, I think one of the most important relationships at this time uh, was uh, his daughter, Melanie, that he had lost. And, and it's unclear whether it was because of the divorce, because of uh, just how he was acting, like what was going on. Um, but he made this wonderful song about this that if you, you know, he has a unique talent to make these huge sort of anthemic, generalized songs uh and and but this one even as big as it is as beautiful as it is uh you can tell that it is it is a it's a one-on-one experience and whether that's with his daughter his wife if you're the listener with your you know girlfriend boyfriend whatever it is uh it is a feeling that we have all felt at some point in our life uh this is come talk to me things um, that was obvious to me upon re-listening to this album, you know, over the past week uh, preparing for this was just how uh, muted and reserved and hushed this album is. So I I typically listen to music at a fairly low volume. Yeah. And the moment this song kicks in, which is, which is the opener to the album, I, I had to go and turn it up a couple of clicks just to kind of hear what was going on. It was sort of like really intentionally, um, you know, just kind of dialed down. I, I think he's, he, he said something like, uh, um, you know, most records, particularly in America, everything is brightened up um, on the top end to make everything kind of bright and jangly. And he really wanted to get away from that and actually make things sound duller. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which which I kind of feel is interesting. That's kind of a lo-fi technique that you see happening a lot in music production these days, where you will, you know, intentionally kind of do a uh, a, a low pass filter or kind of cut the high end, uh, particularly on the drums, which he's doing on this on this song, um, to kind of you know make things sound not as as super high end and polished. Make- yeah. Yeah, I, I I want people listen like to go back and listen to the. I mean, this is going to be on the podcast, so it's I think low one hundred twenty eight, whatever a podcast is. I want people to go back and listen to that song in particular, and what you're talking about. There is a lot of like muting of the sounds as far as the tonality of it, but it's also one thing that really stands out on this um, is how sparse the music actually is. And it's something that you can like dig into Peter Gabriel's catalog before, and, and it starts to develop. Uh, it really came to came to the fore uh, with the Last Temptation of Christ soundtrack, which he was just coming off that, so that influences a lot of this album, as far as the sounds that you find in here. But that song in particular is um, with lyrics, you know, like uh, you know, won't you please talk to me? We can unlock this misery, and and you think you're hearing this big like all-encompassing sound but when you really get into it it's very uh it's close it's personal it's sparse you can only hear like four or five different instruments in that and Mm -hmm. and it's 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 unique to him uh and it's something that i've found fascinating in revisiting this album is that there's there's certainly some points where he blows it out but for the most part it is very reserved it 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 sounds like it's being made by somebody who's been deeply wounded Mm mm-hmm and 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 that is uh again it's something that he never did before <laughs> right yeah and i mean you know this album definitely has has some great songs on it um but i think people who were expecting a so too yeah kind of got half of what they were expecting you know there's there there's a lot of similarities between this album and so but but you know I think the themes are 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 much darker, um, and, and then the production reflects that. And uh, yeah. you know, so was really just over the top production, very bright, uh, very forward. And this one isn't. Well, and it had like uh, had like Red Rain. It had your typical like uh, Save the Planet songs on it. And mm-hmm. It was it was very much of the eighties. Always has those. It, yeah, it, it always has those. There was an electronic press kit he put out. We'll put a link in the show notes to this where he's talking about sort of all these songs on this album and talking about the trauma and talking about everything. And in, in hindsight, that was something that was not done in 1990. Right. <laughs> you know, he's not going to, you're not going to go out there and be like, well, you know, I, I saw my therapist a lot and, uh, and I did this. Like it's, it wasn't endearing, especially to what people consider to be one of the world's biggest pop stars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think artists back then weren't as relatable. You know, they were kind of yeah. these, these larger than life folks and nobody was larger than life than than Peter Gabriel, you know, right. going from his kind of English prog rock background, all the masks and, and everything, you know, all the, the sound sonics that he would hide behind. And then, you know, this big, massive smash. Um, yeah, I, I don't you know, he, he made himself extremely vulnerable. Um, and when so came out, I loved it so much that, you know, over the next couple of years, I go digging back into his history and I find all these cool albums maybe aren't as, um, you know, amazing as so, but a lot of great stuff on there, games without frontiers and intruder and these kinds of things. I think by the time us came out, 
you know, if there was a lot of momentum for him off of so, it had probably gone, you know, and he kind of had to reintroduce yeah. himself. You know, it was like six years it took him to kind of get this album out. Yeah, yeah, which back then was a real long time. You know, but he wasn't done yet. It took, what, another <laughs> decade for him to come out with his next album, and he hasn't followed that one up since. He hasn't followed that one up. <laughs> that's, that's for a whole other podcast. You know, I, I want to stick with, like, the beauty of this album for, for a little while longer because, you know, whereas Come Talk to Me is, is speaking from a place of uh, uh, not necessarily knowing what to do, I think Washing of the Water is is speaking from a place of, like, you know what to do. You know you're at the bottom, and uh, and you just sort of give up. So here's, here's a little uh, – in a good way. So here's a little bit of Washing of the Water. Yeah, th this song kind of has like a like a folk hymnal kind of mm -hmm. quality, um, which is somewhat unusual for him. Um, it, it feels kind of like the moment of clarity in the album. Yeah, like we've just dug through like all this, uh, you know, these challenges and this these dark places, and I've kind of reached this point where, you know, I don't know if it's kind of a Christian sort of uh, religious moment or quasi religious moment. Sure. Um, if it's related to his uh, his passion soundtrack, something like that. But uh, um, I, I I do I, I actually really love this song, and I like the place in the album because it is mm -hmm. kind of like um, it, it, it's it's just an inflection point. I think where you know he it, yeah moment of clarity kind of song for me. The the come down it, it is there's a lot of uh, biblical stuff in here and uh, I think that's he, he's trying to relate all this to just the larger human experience, uh, or as he understands it, uh, 
possibly a larger like Judeo-Christian experience of what they know uh, humanity to be. You know, because right after you have love to be loved, but uh, the second track, Blood of Eden, you know, is uh, you know, just committing the cardinal sin. Except in that case, it's not biting the apple. It's being shitty to somebody. Uh, only us is, you know, this is the fascinating psychological part of this album is after Steam, there's this track, Only Us, where he's really just talking about, uh, it, it's almost like he's home drunk. And he's like, it's just us two. It's just us two. I'm gonna drunk dial you. I'm gonna do it. Um, and and that's that's a completely, I, th I think, human reaction, especially for somebody who is uh, once part of an us and is now not. Yeah, you yeah know, like you, only us, but that us is just me at this point. Right, 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 right. No, you can't. You can't love anybody else. How could you possibly do that? Um, and then, uh, and then, Washington in the water is is that sort of acceptance of of uh, wow, how how wrong all this has gone, which brings us to uh, this is for me a fascinating point, not just in this album but in pop music history. I don't know uh, of any song that has really uh, over the years affected me in different ways. Um, I've heard it in different ways. Uh, that really uh, attacks the problem of uh, not – I won't even say like like toxic masculinity, uh, just toxicness in people, you know, the ability mm -hmm. to hate uh, and, and how the ability to even hate yourself uh, can tear things apart. Yeah. And this is uh, – Yeah, it might be, the, might be one of the ugliest chart-topping songs in the history of charts. Yeah. I'll go with that. This is this is a little bit of digging in the dirt. Something in me, dark and sticky. When that first came on the radio, I was I was shocked because um, it, it is it's so in your face ugly. Yeah. Um, 
it's got this duality to it, you know, that I'm, you know, perhaps I'm abusing you, but don't leave me. Um, almost kind of reminds me of uh, that moment in Pink Floyd's The Wall, where it's like, I'm putting you through the shredder, but don't leave me now. Kind of well, and, and also it switches around the narrator. You're never, you're never quite clear, I think, until the end, like who's actually speaking. Right. You know? um, although that, that, that line of... Uh, yeah, right before it's like shut your mouth. Like <laughs> it kind of it kind of tips its hat <laughs> to speak. Right. But um, but you know, saying like you've gone too far or whatever. That, you know, that could be anything. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's vicious, man. It's an equally disturbing video if you go watch it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's the same video artist that made uh, Sledgehammer, but it's got that kind of a lot of that stop action uh, motion, and it, they kind of mask some of the you know domestic violence aspects of the video by having him actually trying to swat a fly as opposed to yeah. you know um committing violence upon his woman and i don't know if that was an attempt to kind of uh soften up the uh, the the you know what's really happening in the song or or if that's you know an important piece of symbolism in the yeah song. I, I think this comes out of his his a direct like result of coming out of his therapy uh, and what he learned about himself and what he learned about uh, being a man uh, and what he learned about being a human. You know th this line. Uh, you know he's I'm he, I'm digging in the dirt to the places I get hurt. Uh, open up the places I get hurt. Uh, that's what you do in therapy. That's you know you you go and you and you take a really hard look at yourself and and you you sort of expose these things so you can sort of exist in them and not you can especially if if they're really bad things like you can never really like make up for them but you can learn to live with them and learn how to apply that to like existing with other people that, that, that that's a lot of the point of therapy um for a lot of people but drives that point home um you know, it says, uh, the more I look, the more I find this close in. I get so blind. I feel it in my head. I feel it in my toes. I feel it in my sex. That's the place it goes. And that is, I think, specifically how he is talking about uh, taking it out uh, from a uh, in a male to female perspective. You know, maybe uh, maybe not abuse, but also maybe just like using women, mm -hmm. objectifying women, uh, because he's not happy. There's something wrong with him, but he's he's not he's not able to deal with it, so he's going to go down that path. That's a remarkable admission uh, for a pop star, like for anybody. But that, to do that on this record and to do that in this way, and to do that, like you said, the video is disturbing. But if you the Secret World Live. Uh, concert film. They did this thing where uh, they put cameras uh, on their heads, and they're they're early like GoPros, and they, and they're like looking at their heads. And so all you saw on the screens was this view from the camera of all the people's uh, faces close up. During these intense parts of this song, uh, it it basically went down like Peter Gabriel's throat. It is ugly. It's horrifying, and it's meant to be jarring. And um, that's. Uh, it's just it's a powerful like I think artistic statement from somebody who uh, used to dress like a flower. You know, we exist in a generation of of Me Too and and like, all kinds of wokeness, but uh, I don't know that we see a lot of self like reckoning. Mm -hmm. You know, we all, we it's easy to like retweet somebody or you know cancel them on that, but it's it's really hard to like look at yourself and think like oh man. 
how did this not just affect like the person you're in a relationship with, but how did this affect like my friends, people around me, people I don't know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something he achieves here. You know, there's a quote about this that he said uh, that I want to read because he still was trying to craft something that was universal. But what he says about it, I think, is the key to unlocking not just how we can exist in like <laughs> this darkest timeline falling apart, uh, but relationships and what value we put on them and and whatever you got to do to get by. The point is, it, here's here's what he said. The measure of how civilized someone is, is is where they place the dividing line between us and them. Well, you can put people in, a, in the box marked them. You can kick them around a lot more easily than you can when they're in the box marked us. So I think it's useful to try to empty the box marked them and fill it up with the box marked us. That's, uh, that's profound. And I, I think that gets into, like, why we... Um, why we like reach out to other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I think the, the reason why I'm kind of excited about taking a look at this album uh, in relation to Valentine's Day is it's, it's not to me an album about loss or the end of a relationship and now I'm alone and it's a dark place, but really it's about, you know, what it takes to make a relationship work. Mm-hmm. It takes talking, it takes opening up, uh, being honest with yourself, digging into your own dirt, exposing that um, with, you know, as as us, both of us doing that together. Yeah. Um, and if you don't do that, you wind up with, you know, uh, resentments and, and contempt, which which he obviously explores here. So the 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 ramifications of, of not, you know, going through that that self-discovery and being honest with yourself and, and your partner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and there's a there's a song on there that is um he kind of comes out of it. I think I think the song Secret World. He he's still alone, but he's figured out how to be at peace with some of this stuff. But like right before it is this hilarious song, uh, Kiss That Frog, that is uh on the surface you're like, This is disgusting, but this is like somebody rediscovering the joy of of being out in the world again. Jump in the water. Let me introduce this frog nest You alone can get him singing He's all buffed up, wanna be your king Oh, you can do it Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on Lady, kiss that frog In the context of this album, this is somebody who has sort of dissolved uh, from digging in the dirt into this just monster, this troll, and and is just saying, but wait, there's still stuff to be loved about people, not just myself, about people. I'm not arguing that it's even a good song, but I think, I think we're I'm, I'm glad you, you, you said that because I never quite understood this song and why it's on this album. Right. And it always kind of seemed like the odd duck and maybe a throwaway that just got, you know, the, the record company said, hey, you know, we need another single. And, yep. and it did land on the radio for a while. And so it was successful there. But but otherwise seems out of place to me. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a little out of place. I mean, he, he certainly needed another hit, but... 
uh, he figured out a way to make that uh, about uh, this this idea, uh, and I, and I can only guess, but like myself, having been divorced, like there is uh, besides the stigma that uh, society places on you, uh, there is just a personal, and it's with any relationship, it's not just divorce. Like there's a there's a feeling of uh, failure. You know, mm-hmm. you failed, and that's not a good feeling, and that's a hard thing to deal with. Uh, he deals with it on this album and comes out like, hey, you know, what I see here is I'm just a big failure and stuff, but, you know, like, I'm still, like, out there. And, and it is, like, a hilarious sort of light at the end of the tunnel, uh, which gets you to uh, Secret World, which um, it's almost, in your eyes, like, evolved to its its final form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it has none of the... Uh, None of the just the wide-eyed like hopefulness or anything. It, it, it is like straight up uh, real account of uh, of where people in your life who are either in it still or not, just people who who existed on your timeline are going to always exist. So I, I want to play a little bit of the song. our secret world we were colliding in all the places we were hiding love what was it we were thinking of that's uh, that's a great that's a question for the ages but it is is uh, not just the audacity of thinking that you could be with somebody else or have a, just even a friend relationship with somebody else but 
but the duality of of not being completely open with that mm-hmm. that's uh and for me that sums up not just the whole album but it also like what he thinks about his relationships like the the mistake he made right or or we made as us or we you know made, yeah. because it, it, the i think this is a great album closer because it's like we've just gone through all of this turmoil yeah uh together um and and it didn't work out but yeah. but here you know it's almost like here you know you're you're with the person who you were with before and it didn't work out but you're kind of coming together just to kind of look back and say you know what were we thinking um you know the secret world maybe maybe the secrecy that we held about ourselves um that that may have you know impacted the relationship in a negative way in addition to kind of you know what kind of secret world did we have together um were we lying to ourselves to the world um but there is a peacefulness uh i think to this song and uh you know true to form on this album being a really hushed quiet album this is probably the quietest anthem i've ever heard and at the end the very last line it's gabriel just sort of whispering into the mic he says shh listen you know, what he's ultimately trying to say with this does swing it back to what he was trying to say in his quote uh but it's something that we get so far away from uh that the importance of our interpersonal relationships whether they're romantic or not like if it had ended with kiss that frog like i don't know that we'd be talking about this i think you know he set the he set the bar he set the right up top with come talk to me as the thesis and ends it with this whole journey through uh, through life, and mm-hmm. I don't know many artists who can do that. And and you know, even though he's only had one album since then, uh, I'm not necessarily mad at it. Because I, what do you do to that's 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 the, that statement is the point of art. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't do throwaway albums right. unless they're cover albums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if he if if he doesn't have uh, if he doesn't have the material, he's not putting it out, obviously. Right. right. And so he fills the gap with a little bit of soundtrack work and some covers and the and, and these kinds of things, which which I agree with you is fine. I would rather him hold back if he doesn't have what you know the material to bring forth. Every year, I'm like, is this going to be the year where Peter Gabriel makes a new album? And then I realize, well, it's not going to be this. So what do I want a new album for? Like I think this is uh, uh, a starting and ending point. If you aren't familiar with the material of Peter Gabriel, the other stuff can serve to color it in and give you more context, maybe uh, to what he does. But as far as an artistic statement, like this is uh, this is what he was, I think, born to make. Right, right. Yeah, you kind of went from uh, "Don't give up on Peter Gabriel" to uh, you know, "Give up." This is a message of hope. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's fantastic. So. Mm-hmm. so, and there is uh, there there is a happy ending to this song too. That "Come Talk to Me" was about yeah. his strained relationship with his daughter, who is now his uh, one of his backup singers, right? In, right. in concert and and sang uh, on uh, Up the following album. So clearly things worked out there, and hopefully they'll work out for everybody um, yeah. listening out there. Yeah. So just just go out and be a person, people. That, that's that's what Peter Gabriel would want you to do. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and finish this out. Uh, Thanks for hanging out, Drew, and uh, we'll be back in a minute. The further on I go, all the less. 
divine Only us breathing Only us sleeping Only us dreaming Only us Peter Gabriel's Us Out Now and has been since 1992. I uh, love this record. It is a staggering achievement, a staggering artistic achievement from an amazing artist that uh, that I, I wonder if it gets overlooked, but I don't think I don't think it does. I think people, um, you know, now that we have the uh, the Universal Jukebox streaming in front of us, we can go out and we can find an artist we like and then explore the whole thing. And invariably, if you do that, you are going to. Uh, come to the same realization that we did here that this is likely his best album and uh, as good a coda uh, for him as far as albums goes as there is even though there was one after it up is a great album we may talk about it uh, later on but it is it is a is a whole different whole different animal um, and uh, but this this sort of stands tall as his masterpiece so uh, so dig into it guys let us know how you feel uh, that is it for this episode of Discologist. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can also uh, go out and interact with us on the socials at Chunky Glasses. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Chunky Glasses because we are a Chunky Glasses production. If you go to ChunkyGlasses.com, you will see all of the episodes of Discologist plus the amazing uh, work of our live team in Washington, D.C. In fact, uh, Avery Junius just got back in the game. He covered Raphael Sadiq's show uh, at the 930 Club, and I have it on good authority that it was it was uh, tight as fuck I think is the proper terminology uh, but they're killing it down there and um, and so if you see them out of the show maybe uh, give them a high five or something how about that spread the love it's Valentine's Day guys we will see you again in a few short days until then uh, take care of yourself love yourself love your people be good to them uh, that's how that's how we all get by alright Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>